Welcome. You're listening to the Best Tech Practices for Small Organizations podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Wells, and this podcast is presented by NW Techs and is designed to educate small and medium-sized organizations on the best practices for managing their IT. We cover topics ranging from cybersecurity to business communication to file storage to working remotely. In this episode, we are continuing our series uh, titled Law Firms and Technology. In this series, we're highlighting law firm leaders from around the world to learn from their experience in regards to best practices for managing their IT systems. In this episode, I have the privilege of talking to Michael Fuller. Michael is a partner at Olson Danes in Portland, Oregon. His law practices focuses on class action and civil rights litigation. Over the past decade, Michael has represented the interests of millions of consumers in various state and national actions. Last year, Michael and his team helped recover over $22 million in compensation for defrauded customers. His cases have been featured by national news outlets from the New York Times to the Today Show. Thanks for joining us, Michael. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great. Well, let's jump right into the questions. First question is just a general question really looking at what are you personally excited about? Maybe your team and, and your firm is excited about when it comes to utilizing technology to serve your clients better. So we have a consumer practice. And so we don't usually have repeat customers, so to speak. Uh, people have one-time issues in their lives, usually with large corporations, and they need a lawyer. So what I'm really looking forward to is using technology to streamline the way that consumers get justice, both in court and in forced arbitration. And in particular, I'm interested how the use of uh, apps on handheld devices can be used to automate that process. I don't like how in the olden days before I started, if you had a legal problem with a large corporation, say over you know a $20 overcharge on a cell phone bill, that was that. There's nothing you're going to do. You're not going to take a day off work, drive downtown, park in a, a big tower, put on decent clothes, go up, pay a retainer, talk to a lawyer only to find out that the problem is going to cost a lot more than it's already cost you. And so mm. uh, we've tried to streamline that process already by having attorneys on the front line, do, having attorneys actually do the intake so that most people can just get their questions answered right away, not going through the process. We've streamlined our um, conflict system. We rarely have conflicts because we only represent the little guy and we never represent large corporations, but we've streamlined that process. And then I've also streamlined the process to retain a lawyer. If you go to consumeragreements.com, you can see that I've set up a website just for my clients because even in small cases, even that lag of a day or two of it, or, or five sometimes of having to mail paperwork back and forth just seemed like something we could avoid. And so I can get a case filed usually within an hour of a consumer reaching out to me. But part of that is me being quick on the keyboard. And that's what I hope technology is going to replace moving forward. I hope that a consumer moving forward can have an app and that the app is my law firm. And when they open that app, they can choose their problem, put in their information, and that they can automatically e-sign us to solve that problem. And that that information will generate a form complaint that then an attorney can simply review. And then the system itself will file the complaint, draft all the discovery documents, have it served. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Mm, super interesting. So tell me about your website. Is it something you guys have custom built or are you using like a third-party software? Do you have a, an IT team built it for you? Tell me a little more about that. So the website is just a WordPress template and I host it on, I use GoDaddy to manage the domain. And then a friend of mine has a okay. small uh, to medium size IT business. And so we use, we used to use Bluehost. I don't know who we use now. We might still use Bluehost to actually host it. And I, I access it all myself. 
I believe that it's important, at least in my business, for me to be able to make instant changes to my website. Mm. I think that's very important, especially, you know, if I'm uh, being publicized for a particular issue, I'm going to take, and I think people are going to be visiting my website wanting to know, okay, he was just in the paper about credit reporting. And maybe that's going to generate extra people looking for credit reporting help. All front load stories that have to do with what I think the new visitors are going to be interested in. Same thing with class actions. We file a lot of very popular national class actions that you would have heard of. And when we do, we get hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of other people coming forward saying, hey, where do I join? What do I do? Do I qualify? And so I need myself to be able to throw up a splash page immediately and intercept those mm. questions and, and sometimes those leads and process them. And honestly, it was just a, one Saturday morning. We had an in-house mm -hmm. IT person, and this was probably eight years, nine years ago. And I was just waiting around at 5 a.m. on a Saturday morning. I just filed a huge case. And I just said, you know what? I'm not going to put myself in this position again, because I'm not doing what I want to do. And I'm waiting on someone else. Mm -hmm. And I just said, I'm just going to have to learn it. And I'm not a very tech savvy person. And so I started just finding young people that seemed like they knew technology, taking them out for drinks or for dinner, picking their brain, watch like just saying, can I pay you just to watch you? And mm. just kind of learning the, you know, what I think probably a seven-year-old could do pretty easily now. That's probably my skill level, but it's enough for me. And so when you go to my website, it's just a WordPress template that I use myself. My mentor who started this firm back in the seventies, he said, you know, the people who are hiring us don't want a law firm that looks expensive. Cause I used to tell him, mm. Eric, like go to like Miller Nash's website or go, these are beautiful pages mm. and they're optimized and you can do searches by attorneys. And he said, you know, people wanting to hire us are intimidated by that. So mm. I have pictures of me and my family, my dog, me volunteering, things that are important to me. And I actually think that it, it's preferable to me. I think optimally, if I could afford it, I would have a local firm just on call 24 seven that could manage my site for me because there are things sure. I just can't do. But for my needs, I actually prefer having my site look the way it does, even though I'm sure, you know, I could get somebody to make it look a lot more modern and, and maybe even a little more user-friendly, but I'm happy with it. And so that's it. I manage it myself. And if I want to change something, I just log into WordPress and, and make the change. Super cool. One of the couple of things that stood out to me, what you mentioned, uh, number one is your adaptability. And a lot of the other uh, law firm leaders uh, we've been talking to have, have admitted the same level of technology experience uh, that you have, right? Where that's not your profession. Your profession is the legal space, not technology. But uh, we're all consumers and we're all util utilizing technology to further our cause or to further our organization. And to learn it is paramount to certain degrees, whether it's cybersecurity, whether it's building your own website, which is kudos to you. WordPress can be a bear, even though it is one of the more simpler platforms. It can still be super challenging, especially if you have a consumer-based interaction where you have people submitting information. It definitely can be a challenge. So kudos to you for, for tackling that. And it sounds like down the road, you would love to develop some sort of app that people can log into and, and have it more user-friendly in that regard? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm cool. actively pursuing that. Like on a monthly basis, I'm talking to people and um, just kind of seeing where the technology's at. I don't want to do it bespoke. I don't think my relatively small practice would warrant that. I am definitely following it. And on my, you know, my law firm, I, I manage the practice of civil litigation but we have a pretty thriving uh, bankruptcy practice. And so we've got a, probably a half dozen attorneys that do full-time bankruptcy. And so for our bankruptcy website, we do have two different third-party vendors that we use. 
one that's, I would say more IT and then one that's more marketing and they work in conjunction to keep our olsondanes.com website, just the way that those bankruptcy partners want it. And so we do actually have those kind of firms on retainer, but for my litigation practice, it was just important to me that I'd be able to do it myself. Yeah. It sounds phenomenal that you have obviously the partners in place and you also have the things that you need to control in-house. Let's change gears a little bit. I'd love to talk about um, some areas that your organization has maybe in the past 12 months or since the pandemic that your organization has struggled with technology. Maybe it's cybersecurity, maybe it's working remotely, maybe it's file storage. Yeah. I'd love to hear about some areas that you've struggled with and overcome, or maybe ones that you're still actively looking to solve. The issues that we have are still, we're still just struggling with old school issues. And I'll just tell you that the one caused by COVID and the other is just a general issue. The one caused by COVID is getting hardware replaced because I use exclusively only Mac, but I also have a policy that anyone who works for me can use whatever technology or whatever platform they want. And so what we end up with is some people who are exclusively Microsoft or other, you know, computer companies that use a Microsoft operating system. And then I'm all Mac. And then we have some people that like to switch between. And so during the pandemic, like for instance, we had an Acer computer that we had bought in the last year from the downtown Microsoft store. And it just went belly up. It just Mm. power on. And so the store's closed, right? Due to COVID. They say, well, you're going to have to mail the physical laptop back to Pacer out of the country. And I said, well, I can't really do that because it's got a lot of confidential information on it. It's got my, assuming that thing gets back up and running, it's got, you know, a lot of different accounts logged in and, and documents that I just can't take a risk. So I had sure. to drop the thing in, in Nevada water and just brick it and buy a new one. And so that's something I still haven't figured out a way to, to get around. How do you ask somebody to fix something when it has proprietary information on it and they want you to mail it to China? Second is just old-fashioned password management. We have, I mean, like most firms, we probably have over 100 passworded accounts. And now sure. every time someone wants us to open an email, oftentimes we're having to set up accounts with passwords just to access email. And that's fine. But managing those passwords in a way where, you know, on a need to know basis has proven difficult. And also I'm just old. And so like just yesterday I said, don't we have a a subscription to this particular newspaper? And she said, yeah, we do. Here's the login. And I log in and then it it recognizes me. It says, you know, welcome back, but it still gives me the prompt pay for this, pay for that. And it's like, it's like, I I pay for so much and I can only access a certain amount of it. And I think it's just due to password management. Mm -hmm. And I've been, I know they say that the uh, password management apps are the best way to store passwords. I'm always hesitant to use proprietary technology unless I have to. Mm. And since I don't have to, I still have some old school, you know, just kind of printed out uh, methods for password retention. So that's an area where we do continue to struggle, but it's a struggle I don't, I can live with. Because mm-hmm. it also, I think, keeps us secure and with the ability to access our passwords when we need them. And that's my concern with a password app is that I either would need to, that either I would get locked out of that and then I would just mm. be up shit's crick because I wouldn't have right. any of my passwords. But also keeping them stored on paper, I feel is it, you know a little safer than, I don't know how else you would store them if it wasn't on paper or through an encrypted app, but um, I prefer the paper 
So those are some of the challenges. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Both of those are very common. We hear that a lot from our clients or prospective clients, law firms, or really any type of organization. Hardware is a challenge uh, Take to talk about your first one. I'm a huge Mac user myself. Our organization, we have a mix as well. And across our client base, we have a mix as well of, of PC and Mac. And there's really no right answer. I think the, 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 best, the best answer I can give and what we do for our clients is to ensure that you have have a process for managing company-owned equipment and to stay away from personal-owned equipment and for any sort of business activity to ensure that it's on company-owned equipment that's encrypted, that you have your security in place, monitoring, antivirus backups, you know, all those all those fun things, and that you're using equipment that is not consumer-grade, right? You're using business-grade equipment that has encryption built in and things like that. But it's still a challenge, right? Because equipment goes bad. Yeah, especially since the pandemic, uh, the availability of hardware and getting things replace can be challenging. That's where either having backup systems is important where you have an extra laptop available. Uh, we do that a lot for our clients where we have, you know, if they something were to crash, first backing up all your systems, number one is crucial. That way, if something were to crash, you can just, you know, toss it. Or if you need to reformat it to send it off to manufacturing or to the manufacturer, you can restore it easily through the backup. But yeah, backups is super important. That helps with restoring equipment standardizing across the board with business class equipment that's owned by the company, that's managed by the company, and then having a backup system is helpful. And then password manager is something that we are huge fans of password managers from a compliance standpoint, a cybersecurity standpoint, ease of use. I think a password manager saves me 15 minutes a day just because I don't have to worry about MFA. You can build in MFA, multi-factor authentication into the password manager. You're not getting those text messages. You're not getting those emails. Um, you you can share accounts securely. Apple actually just implemented 1Password across their entire organization. We implement 1Password uh, in our organization for our clients as well. LastPass is also a great solution. As far as security, and you bring up a great question, and I get it all the time, you know, are they more secure than putting it on paper or Excel sheets or the Chrome, you know, right? If you're using Chrome or Internet Explorer, the built-in password managers. And the answer is yes. And the reason why it's yes is because it's actually a three-factor authentication process where you have your password, you have your MFA, but then you also have an encrypted uh, emergency key that only you have that's 16 characters long that you print off and you keep in your safe that way. Like you mentioned, if you were to lose access to your account, you have that key that only you have that can access the password manager. So they come a long ways. I would definitely recommend looking into them. You'll save a ton of time and you'll be more secure. And uh, paper is definitely secure, but that still can be compromised too, right? In, in the case of a theft or in the case of somebody walking into your office and, and snagging it. So food for thought. And you bring up some great problems though and, and very typical problems of, of small organizations with technology. Let's move to the next question here. From a technology standpoint, does your team need to work in the office or are they free and encouraged to work remotely? They're free and encouraged to work remotely. Um, so I would say from a technology standpoint, no, there's no need, especially the younger lawyers. For I, I spent my whole career as a younger lawyer trying to get out of the office and now I work. <laughs> you know, from wherever I am uh, and I don't have an office that I go to, but I find kind of the opposite with some of the younger lawyers. Now they do want an office. They do want the ability to share ideas. So I would say, you know, from that standpoint, I do still maintain some offices for the employees that, that want them, but I strongly encourage everyone to work uh, remotely. I hate it. I don't know if you ever did 
just time clock, just, you know, fast food mm. labor jobs. But I just, yeah. Idea of why am I standing here? Mm. Why I can't go to the bank? I can't do anything. I'm just stuck in this spot. And so running my own practice, I want my team to be mobile and to be, you know, living their life as much as they can. And then just, mm. you know, working when the, when the work needs to be done. Also the environmental impact of traveling mm. to a physical office and the gas and the parking and then putting on, you know, special clothes and then um, not being able to cook your own meals at home, mm. I think is less healthy. Um, not being around your pets or your family. I, I just see a lot of good reasons why working remotely makes sense. And luckily the technology completely allows for it. I love it. That's, that's great. And yeah, our organization, we were definitely a remote friendly before COVID, but have gone completely remote and actually sold our office and and our team is remote and a lot of our clients are going fully remote or some sort of hybrid. I would love to go a little bit deeper into that and, and kind of a two-part question. Number one would be, how does your firm create a culture that has that, right? You mentioned some of your younger lawyers like to be in person and to collaborate and have some of that energy and, and synergy. So number one is how do you create that culture remotely? How, how have you guys done that? And then number two, how do you create an environment of accountability where people are motivated to get stuff done and there is some sort of accountability in place? So from the outset, when I do, you know, when I you know, do real formal interviews, but we do hire people pretty regularly. And so I just let them know that this is kind of the system that we have. And then I also like, I give them contact information for current and former employees. And I say, I'd, I'd like you to, I said, you know, when the time comes and you're, you've been here a while, or it's not for you and you leave, I would like, if you also choose to participate in this, but I would like, you know, before you sign on to work here, would you please talk to current and former employees? Hmm. And they have full permission to tell you all the good, the bad, and the ugly. Hmm. And part of what they may say is, well, you know, I, you know, I've got kids at home and I can't just work whenever Mike wants me to. And I don't have a quiet spot always at my house, or I really don't, you know, have a fast internet connection or whatever, you know. And then I think others will say, hey, it's great. As long as you get your shit done, he doesn't care and he doesn't babysit hmm. you. And you can do, you know, all the pros and cons. So that's kind of, I just kind of screen it beforehand. And if people are looking for, a different environment. I'll try to just, I know a lot of people in the local legal market and try to find a firm that's a good fit for them. Mm. And then as far as keeping people on task, I don't really believe in that approach. I think the work should um, dictate the pace. Mm. So if I don't see your work product and I don't see you, then, you know, you may not be here too long. Uh, I, I want to encourage people that want to come to work for us because of the great things that we're doing and that want mm. a challenge and that like the work. And then that being said, I don't care. I don't care if somebody works 10 hours a week or 60 hours a week. I'm solely concerned with the product. What is the product? What is the consumer experience? What is the, the legal result? And so what is our callback time? What is our average callback time? Things like that concern me a lot more. And so if the average callback time is still five minutes or less and we're at a zero inbox pace mm. and everything is getting done as it should and I'm not getting complaints and when I call you, you answer, you know, which is demanding in and of itself. <laughs> but sure, as long as that's sure. done, I don't care if you answer and you're at the grocery store or if, if you're in Mexico on a vacation and you're going to do some work. Yeah. It doesn't matter to me at all. And I actually encourage that because it is very rigorous to work here and the pay isn't as good as it could be working for one of our competing firms just because they represent billion dollar clients that pay by the hour. And I represent people who can't afford food, usually let alone uh, a mm -hmm. lawyer. 
And so mm. it's just the nature of the business that sometimes mm. um, it's feast or famine over here. And we just, our, our rates just aren't as competitive as a large firm. But I, so I try to offer that flexibility in return. And and for people that like it, I think it works out great. And and like I said, if, if I, you know, if I don't see, if you're not making me aware of the good work that you're doing for us, um, then I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, butt my, I'll butt in and ask. But if sure. I ask and I don't see anything, then maybe it's not a great position for you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I love that. And I love, I mean, the first thing you mentioned as far as being fully transparent and allowing people to talk to former or current employees, I've never heard that. And I've talked to hundreds, if not thousands of companies in, in my tenure at this company. And so super cool. I really love that transparency. And, and, and then second, you know, kind of back to the, the, the fast food or hourly based work um, time is not a measurement of productivity, right? And exactly. productivity is, a me- yeah, uh, the actual outcomes for your clients is a measurement of productivity. How do you guys measure that? So you mentioned something like uh, returning phone calls and inbox zero and things like that. Do you guys have a CRM or is it, yeah, do you have a phone system that you're like, okay, I can see who's calling people back and how many, how many calls went to voicemail or how do you guys practically manage I, that? Two things. I do it. I used to work at a, at a subway and Every now and then the person in line was a friend of the owner and you'd find that out at the register because they'd give you their coupon and then you'd say, oh, good thing I, you know, wasn't chewing gum and good thing I didn't fuck up their order. And Mm -hmm. so I do the same thing. I will do, you know, with security, we will send mock phishing emails out to see who responds. Nice. We'll place calls. I believe that intake and my boss taught me this, Eric, but I think intake should start from the top and trickle down, not vice versa, because we're in a unique profession where only lawyers can give legal advice and that's what people need when they call and so it doesn't make sense to me to start out with people who can't give legal advice and then work Mm. up to those who can when all they really want is five minutes of our time to know hey is this something we handle if not who can you refer me to that you personally know and if Mm. it's something you can handle what are my options and i have gotten pretty good uh, over the years of doing that and part of the reason i do is if you dial 503-222-2000 and you press one you go right to my voicemail you go right to my cell phone that i have on me no matter where i am no matter what time it is and if i'm available i'll answer but i can also forward those voicemails to my scheduler to my paralegals to my law clerks mm. and so then i can just i periodically just follow up with the people who reached out and just say i'm just doing a client satisfaction survey i saw you called me yesterday at 8 a.m i forwarded your call onto my team would you mind telling me how long it took before somebody called you and mm-hmm. i can get you know anecdotal um, feedback sure. that way and then also i can reach out to my team and say hey talk to somebody recently they said you know that there was a, a an eight-hour turnaround on getting that text message and they'll say well you had just told us to print out all these trial binders. And so we were printing out the trial binders. And I said, oh, absolutely, no problem. If I don't get a good response and it keeps happening, then, you know, again, maybe this isn't the right job for you because I'm not in the business of management. I'm not good at it and I don't enjoy mm. it. And so I'm not going to do it. Mm. And so I, I understand I'm probably losing out on some really talented people who just need that constant supervision and pressure, but it's just not something that I, it's not how I want to live my life or spend my time in my career. And so that's, those are some of the ways that I kind of follow up. And then with the work product, you know, I do a final edit on things, probably like a lot of lawyers, you know, when you start out and you don't know somebody, you do a lot of editing and reviewing. And as I get more and more comfortable with your work product, the less and less I feel the need to edit. And, you know, everybody's going to make mistakes. I do too. And and so uh, if your mistakes start becoming major mistakes and not minor, then, you know, we'll have to tweak something or maybe you're, maybe you don't have enough time. Mm. Um, we have weekly meetings. Every Friday is uh, a day that we, we don't take it off. I'm sure my 
my team would, would uh, laugh if I said <laughs> we take every Friday off, but we don't <laughs> schedule anything important or we really avoid okay. scheduling anything on our calendars for Friday. And so we meet our team meets um, at 7 a.m. twice a week okay. for fitness. And so we work out together. Mm. And then during that, we sponsor a local boxing gym. And so membership's free for the team. And then on Fridays, we volunteer uh, together as much as we can at the local soup kitchen. And so we then go and meet usually at somebody's house and just go over every case we have. So that's another way is during those meetings, you know, I encourage people to provide feedback. And then we also have a anonymous feedback system using a Google questionnaire where people can just pull up an incognito browser and they can just say, you know, Mike was an asshole when he came in today and he mm. didn't thank me for doing this. Or mm. they can say, I really appreciate it when this happens. They can say whatever they want. And we obviously, you know, our, our sole concern is just, you know, efficiency and keeping good people happy. So those are, you know, some of the ways that we can kind of look behind the scenes and make sure that uh, it's working as we want. I love it. That's awesome, Michael. And um, yeah, I think what resonates uh, with with your culture of your organization is that uh, first your heart for serving your clients and your mission and what, you know, the, the phrase used earlier was the great work that we are doing, right? And so um, I think that, you know, the top then top down or uh, excuse me, bottom up men mentality of like, hey, this is what's what's the most important thing is the mission that we're doing. And then how we get there is important. But um, it sounds like for the accountability and getting feedback, you're using a bunch of different tools and a bunch of different uh, means for people to connect and for you to get feedback. But ultimately, it's the culture of like, hey, we want to do great work. We want to service our clients. We want to we want to provide a great place for people to work, and you want to help and serve people. And that's what matters the most. All the things, all the everything else is secondary from there, right? And um, I really hear that from your organization. And it sounds like you have obviously uh, a bunch of different tools, whether it's uh, reviewing voicemails or forwarding those, or a Google survey or a Google form feedback. Super cool. Tell me about some of your favorite tools as far as like, what's the, your favorite tools and like, what's the lifeblood of making sure your organization function well? Is it Zoom? Is it your CRM? Is it your file storage? I think it's file storage. Okay. Uh, I really think that the biggest change, because it had occurred to me, we used um, LexisNexis Time Matters and my firm still uses it. Um, the part of my firm that does bankruptcy has about 50 employees. And so okay. we have the need for uh, practice management software. But ever since we converted to that practice management software, I'd been just trying to come up with a justification to get off of it. <laughs> and it's nothing against it. I started realizing, you know, I can search my inbox for a particular hashtag and I can pull up every Excel document, every email, every Word document, every PDF, every court filing, and I can do the same thing with a client's last name. So why do I need practice management database when at my fingertips, I now have the power to search by subject matter? And that got me thinking, as long as I have the ability to search all my files in one central location, I'm never going to want to organize things by date or last name mm. or by matter. It's always subject matter to me. And so, yeah, I think using the, uh, we use just Dropbox for business. And okay. And we also have a policy. Most of the cases we file, we don't do like, you know, we don't do cases usually where we're going to have any like medical records in our file. We, okay. we do national class action, civil rights cases where it's almost all publicly accessible information. I don't do an intake form at all. Nowhere in my system do I store my clients' social security numbers. I don't store, you know, I store their, their home address, which I could get online. 
their phone number and their email address, and that's it. And then their case documents, I give my clients the link to their own files so they can review them if they want to. I don't know that anybody has. And as soon as a case closes, my main goal with, with Dropbox business is be able to manage this law practice. And if something went wrong, if there was a breach of any kind, have as few people to have to call to give the bad news to as mm. possible. And then when you do be able to tell them that no password, no proprietary information, no public, no, no private information was taken because we never collected it. And so as soon as a case closes out, it goes from the Dropbox business account to an offsite storage drive, then gets new, new information is uploaded to it. And then it gets unplugged and it just sits and it's not a foolproof system, but it does give me the assurance that you know, it, it would be highly unlikely that I would have to call my insurance company and say, we screwed up so bad that now people incurred losses where uh, I, I feel more comfortable that if I got breached, I would have to call all my existing clients and let them know, but mm. I'd be able to tell them that nothing private was taken. So that's Dropbox business. And then I think the Gmail suite that we use, the business version that they have. Okay. Uh, Took a little getting used to just how to operate it from an administrator standpoint, but that works well for us. I think we have, you know, maybe 10, 10 accounts and we can change the names. And then I like to use just generic accounts like staff at underdog lawyer, team at underdog lawyer, and then give those account users their own names. But when we have turnover or people change positions, people go from law clerks to lawyers, those accounts are still the same to the to the public and to our customers and can still be searched in the same way. So I kind of like how they do that. Our firm uses um, Outlook and Time Matters uh, for our 50 for the 50 or so people that do our bankruptcy practice. And that works. Okay. With them. And that's independently managed, like I said, by a cloud company. And and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but I have not found a cloud service yet that at least one hour a week, if you've got 50 users, somebody isn't seeing the spinning wheel trying to access something in the cloud mm. that they wouldn't see if they just had only Dropbox and a Gmail browser-based email system and they were operating on their own desktop on a very fast computer. And maybe it is out there and I just haven't given it a chance, but that's originally what took me away from the cloud. We actually had, in, you know, the cloud had a lot of advantages, but I was just saying, I don't want to have to log into this cloud and then from there access these files because there's occasional lag and downtime and updates. Mm. So we kind of do a split system. Yeah. I'll, and I'll tell you that people aren't happy about it because it's kind of a pain <laughs> in the ass because it's like, oh, sure. Fuller's got his own way to do everything. But it's how I like to organize it. And obviously, you know, if I had 50 people instead of 10, I think I would probably have to start standardizing. You know, exactly. Yeah. But yeah. also try to keep small um, for that reason because once it becomes something I can't personally control, then I'm going to need somebody full-time um, or an, I, an IT department. And our IT third party is great, but they're great. And so they're in demand and expensive. Sure, and so sure. I try to keep those costs, you know, as low as I can. But when it comes to, you know, if I feel like it's impacting my practice, I, there's nothing I won't spend to be the best lawyer that I can be when it comes to technology. Love it. Yeah, it's a great question you bring up and something that especially in the small to medium sized law firms, you know, the clients that we serve and it's it's very common because time matters. We have clients that have that use time matters or Clio or other cloud based CRMs for law firms. And those are great. But kind of what you've experienced is they're, they're first of all, they're expensive. And then uh, second of all, they're kind of overkill for for a lot, a lot of law, smaller law firms. And what we found is first uh, Gmail, I love Gmail. It's the best email platform out there. And it, and the reason why is because Google is really good at search. 
and kind of what you mentioned earlier, you can search anything in Gmail and Google is just, I mean, they're, they're the, the king and queen of, of search uh, when it comes to finding things. That being said, Microsoft 365 is really the, is what we found, especially in the last couple of years, uh, been the best kind of ecosystem for file storage, email, security. I mean, a Google Workspaces slash G Suite slash Google Apps is great, but they're honestly uh, a year or two behind Microsoft when it comes to security and the ability to really customize and lock people out or have multiple levels of security and multiple levels of monitoring encryption. They just have a lot you can do with it. So what we found is we've had clients that have moved away from Time Matters or Clio or a lot of the CRMs. They're like, hey, I'm spending, you know, tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on the size of firm every year on these CRM systems when it's overkill, when kind of what you're hinting at and what you've experienced is, hey, all we need is Dropbox or something equivalent. And so SharePoint in OneDrive, which is the Microsoft equivalent of Dropbox, is a phenomenal platform. And since, you know, your larger firm already uses Outlook and uh, that would make sense from my standpoint without knowing very little about your organization, standardizing on Microsoft 365 across the board, you'd have to give up Gmail um, and use Outlook, but uh, it would be, and we had to as well. We, we were a Gmail, we used Slack and Gmail and kind of a bunch of other systems up until about three years ago. And then we moved everything to Microsoft 365 just because of the security on the Microsoft Teams is also, you know, it's the equivalent of Slack. It's also a phenomenal team collaboration platform and web conferencing and, and um, so really great for remote working. Yeah, 365 would be the would be the direction I would recommend if you want to standardize across the board. And Dropbox is great as well. Gmail is great as well. But as far as security and even privacy, Google, they just, it's, they're, they're just kind of one step below. I mean, they're, they will use your information to advertise. They will search your email and use your documents. They'll search your documents and use them to advertise against you. Whereas Microsoft is, uh, is a little more um, clear cut on not uh, accessing your data. So from a privacy security standpoint, Microsoft is, is definitely kind of pushing the, the limit in regards to that. But there's also, you know, Dropbox is great as well in a lot of regards. As far as the spinning wheel and uploading and downloading, that is where I would recommend having everything cloud-based where you're never editing a document on your computer. You're never downloading any documents to a computer ever. And in fact, you should never be emailing documents. You should never download documents. Everything should live in whatever cloud platform you're using because email is not secure. The email documents by email, it's not secure. Uh, downloading documents to your computer is a huge risk for your organization because if that computer gets compromised or um, someone gets access to that computer now you have a bunch of sensitive data on the computer so best practice is for everything to live in the cloud to really lock down that cloud application and have multiple levels of security and encryption. And then Microsoft 365 is an awesome platform for that. And you can really get rid of a lot of those practice management softwares and especially it sounds like yeah for your organization it sounds like a little overkill. Great to know. Yeah. 
Totally happy to share. Cool. Talking about uh, interacting with clients or your team members, do you think, especially since the pandemic and moving forward, do you meet with any of your clients in person and do they prefer to meet in person or meet over Zoom? Or what's your feel on that as far as kind of building that relationship? And I know you obviously communicate with lots of people due to the class action. Do you ever meet with people in person or is it all over the phone? Is it over Zoom or yeah, tell me about that. We meet in person when it's necessary and just due to the nature of our practice with the civil rights, you know, we get a lot of death threats and threats and security scares and concerns. Mm. And so when I do meet with somebody, it's in the federal courthouse because I know that they've been scanned for weapons and they've been identified prior to going in there. And that's my, my standard practice. Now we have some uh, celebrity clients or higher profile people where they're easy to find and I'm not concerned about security and I will meet them in my office. But even that I don't, I meet someone in my office, maybe five times a year, maybe 12, maybe, maybe once a month. And really just to, you know, show off the view uh, when I want a particular Mm -hmm. client to be impressed or whoever I want to try to impress with a view. But most of my clients are not impressed with a view and Mm. they, most of my clients do not have proficiency in zoom. And Mm. so just the old fashioned phone call, but also text messaging. What we found Mm. is that our number one preferred method uh, when we serve our clients uh, to communicate with their legal team is text message. Mm. And so they much more preferred than email even, which is a shame to me because it's, I'm not as proficient at it, but it's what they like. And so it's what we use. So everyone who works on my team has, they, you know, we tell them, listen, you can either use it as your primary cell phone, or if you don't want, you know, clients and and enemies for that matter to have your Mm -hmm. cell phone, just have a second phone. And so everybody, I use the same phone, but I think most of my team chooses to have that second phone. So then they can communicate with the clients by text. And then that phone is synced up to our one talk Verizon account. So that when you press two, if you call that 2000 number, you get, it goes directly to my paralegals work phone. Mm -hmm. So that's mostly how we communicate. We doing civil rights and class actions. Our clients are, you know, usually almost always under median income and even just having reliable communication devices is something that we take for granted. We have a whole box full of burner phones that we use for our clients. And you can kind of tell the client that is probably going to have issues keeping in contact with you regularly. And so we have those burner phones available in our downtown office. Anytime a client wants, they can just come on in, pick it up, and then immediately communicate with us. So not only, you know, they have the ability to let us know if their information changes, but if they end up homeless or for whatever reason, they Mm -hmm. can't contact us. They can always go down to the bank core tower and get a burner phone from us at any time, as long as they're our client. That's super cool. Yeah. That's awesome that you've adapted to to integrate text messaging and be more accessible that way. Have you found any issues with tracking communication? Because unlike email, there's not really a, a track record of your communication with your clients. Have you had to come across any issues with that in regards yeah. to text messaging? Sadly, and it happens somewhat regularly, I have to just take a screenshot and then save it to the Dropbox communicate privilege mm-hmm. folder. And that's why I'd say I, I prefer email. It, it fits easier with our system, but that's what we do. We just take a literal mm-hmm. screenshot of the communication because we do regularly delete our communications on our phones um, for security reasons. Mm-hmm. But for things that we need to keep around, like authorizations, like, yeah, I authorize you to, to file this document or things that are important. Uh, we just take a screenshot and then save it as a Very cool. Which I'm sure is is old school to you, but uh, no, no, that's, that's, that works. Hey, you know what? I love it. No. And that, and uh, there is, there is texting services out there like Twilo. That's the first one that comes to my mind that you can basically centralize all of this text messaging where you can have multiple numbers people can text into and it creates a track record and you can integrate with your CRM and there's, yeah, yeah. Texting has come a long way and mass texting and, 
and be, people to be able to have individual numbers. Uh, what you're doing uh, is obviously working and um, it's probably the lowest cost, easy, uh, easiest to implement. But um, yeah, if you wanted to take it up a notch, Twilo or there's some other platforms out there where there's a lot of them out there that um, are pretty sophisticated and you can do you know, all sorts of like, you know, automated responses and stuff like that, or, you know, you're, or have it super personalized, right? Cause I think that's probably what you're going for is, Hey, you want people to feel like they can just text you and it's not some bot that's going to respond to them. So it can go either way. And there's some, there's some platforms out there uh, that we've seen clients use, but that also works too, as far as screenshotting it and, and uploading it and then deleting it from there. Super cool. Well, we're definitely running over time here. I'd love to ask one more question. Since COVID, has your geographic area changed the clients you're servicing? Are you servicing the same clients now? And and do you plan to expand or contract? Or is it? Yeah, tell me about that. So ours really hasn't changed. And like I said, we don't, I just can't even think of the last just class action or civil rights client that I physically met with in my office prior to, you know, moving forward on their case. And so my whole goal is that you can call me and within an hour, I, you can retain me. We can have discussed what's going to happen and I can file a legal complaint and then share that on Twitter and then give an interview with the press, with, you know, the press and have done my job, you know, in what normal lawyers would have taken them that amount of time just to get the client in the office to talk mm. about things. So no, my, the geographic region hasn't changed. We serve it. Almost all of our clients are based out of the Portland metro area. And then we also service um, some clients in Washington state. And, and we also do have a national practice, but I would say less than 5% of my clients are from across the country. Most are right here in Oregon. And most of those are right here in Portland. Very cool. Well, Michael, it's been super interesting. Thanks so much for, for taking the time to chat. Thanks for listening to the Best Tech Practices for Small Organizations podcast. To learn more about NW Techs and how we can help small organizations tackle cybersecurity challenges and IT challenges, visit us at nwtechs.com. Thanks again, Michael, for coming on to the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Take care.